Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Tuesday broadcast. This is part two of Six Keys to a Successful Marriage. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to begin by giving you a verse that I think will really help you. It came out of a devotional book that I was reading, and the devotional book is called Believe. And the psalm that I love from this devotional is Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So when you think about marriage, oftentimes we forget about the compassion that is needed to have a successful marriage. And I think about compassion for the needy. That doesn't mean we eliminate or we overshadow truth. I think compassion and truth can be together. You know, both are essential But our culture is attempting to deny all truth that changes the world or changes deviant behavior. Isn't it astounding that we are told to trust the science? That is, unless the science contradicts some bizarre culturally acceptable trend. Then we must not even talk about it, never mind debate it. Now recently a friend of mine gave me a book entitled Fault Lines by Vadi Bachman Jr. It's a book written about the social justice movement and its impact on evangelicalism. Now, I recommend this book to you. We are living in a critical time as we face an all-out assault on the authority of the Bible. And disappointingly, many Christians are being swallowed up in the deception of critical race theory or wokeness. What we believe is essential. That's why I am so concerned for our children and our grandchildren. I want them to have a good foundation in the Word of God, not just a superficial, sentimental understanding, but I want them to have a deep love for the Scriptures. I want them to know that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So compassion and truth are not opposites. You know, I'm so proud of our church. Not too long ago, we provided much-needed resources for victims of that tornado that happened in Kentucky about six months ago, uh, toward the end of 2021. And I loved seeing the joy of the faces of those who have such overwhelming need. I'm even more thankful for the spiritual impact that we're able to have upon them, that we're able to help them. You know, the gospel is social, but it's so much more. It's spiritual, and it's life-giving. If I give a person who needs some food— I help them to have life, and I help them to make it through another day. But if I give that person the gospel, I help them to have everlasting life, and they can make it through eternity. You know, the gospel is good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the hope of our reconciliation between us and God and between us and other people. When I think about lack of racial reconciliation, uh, somebody said this, it's not really a skin problem, it's a sin problem. I can't do anything about the color of my skin, nor can you do anything about the color of your skin. My problem is not that I was born red, yellow, black, or white. My problem is that I was born in sin, and I commit sinful acts. Our problem is we have a heart that has been stained by sin, and a nature that is completely defiled. As we acknowledge our sin and we confess our sin, God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe this? Here's what I've learned from firsthand experience. When I've been truly forgiven, I don't walk around with guilt and shame. When I'm free from guilt, I don't show compassion because I feel guilty. 
I show compassion because I'm loved. When I am free from shame, I don't show compassion out of fear. I show compassion because I've been set free. Live today in the freedom of God's forgiveness. And as a child of the King, we've been abundantly blessed so that we can generously bless others. Look today for an opportunity to bless somebody, not only with material blessings, but with the spiritual blessings found in God's Word. When we come to this matter of keys to a successful marriage, I truly believe that you can have a marriage that is made in heaven. Good marriages that are successful have the key of, number one, good communication. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that we must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common, being considerate. You know, consideration means that I'm not only thinking about myself, I'm thinking about somebody else. It's no longer all about me, it's all about we. It means that as a husband, uh, I must work on this matter of consideration of my wife. I must be considerate to her. You know, the Bible actually calls our wives the weaker vessel. And I know some people feel insulted when I say that. That is not an insult. That is really a compliment. And unfortunately, in our English language, that word weak, when it's translated, brings about a negative connotation. But when we look at it biblically, when that word weak is used, it's really the word fragile. It is a fact that God has created our wives as something that is extremely valuable, but fragile. Now, you think about a vase that is really expensive. And so what do you do with that vase? You don't throw it under your garage so it will fall off the shelf. You put it in a place where it will be protected, where it will be safe. Now, the same is true with the relationship that you have with your spouse. You love your wife, and so you protect her because she is fragile. She is highly valuable, and she must be protected. Peter says, husbands, show consideration for your wives as you live together with them. Show your love by being helpful to each other. And then we concluded that first point of being good with communication with your spouse. We concluded with the five stages of a marriage, and we talked about how you can have a great marriage as you go through these stages. And then I gave you three ways to show how you can be sympathetic. Number one, by being helpful. Uh, How can I help, right? Show your love by being helpful to each other, says Ephesians 4.2. And then we sympathize with their doubts and with their fears. Romans 15 says this, verses 1 and 2. We must be considerate of the doubts and the fears of others. If we do what helps them, we will build them up in the Lord. So we're helpful. We're sympathetic with their fears and with their doubts. And I know that fears, you know, when you think about it, fears are not very logical. Uh, They're not very rational, but they're real. Uh, Some people say, well, fears are stupid, right? And and yeah, to a point they are, but we all have different things that we're afraid of. What I'm afraid of, you may not be afraid of. And I've discovered in in a marriage situation, what my wife is afraid of, I'm not afraid of. You know, I have this fear of being in in enclosed places. Uh, I have, uh, I battle claustrophobia, right? And so uh, I hate going underneath my house in the crawl space. I I hate being in the backseat of a car, I hate being in a place that is close. And my wife does not understand that at all because she can sit back in the back seat of a plane with people all around her, get a book and read it, and she's perfectly content. Now, now, to me, I'm like, I'm about to have a coronary heart attack, right? But she doesn't share that fear. So she helps me with that fear. So when I when I have to fly, right, uh, I always make sure she flies with me. And uh, I get real chatty when I'm afraid, right? And, uh, and so we went on a mission trip one time. 
And uh, I had one of our teenagers with us, and I felt bad for Tyler, one of our teenagers, because uh, he got assigned to the seat next to me. And I told Tyler, I said, well, I really hate to fly. And we had about a five and a half hour flight. And I says, I hate being in this airplane, uh, but to help alleviate my fears, I talk a lot. Well, Tyler, he wanted to put his headphones on and kind of zone out and listen to some tunes and all that. And he had to listen to me for five and a half hours. Now, I never have seen a young person get off a plane faster than Tyler got off that plane. Uh, He was looking for that door and couldn't wait for that plane to land. I couldn't wait for it to land either because I'd finally get out of that claustrophobic environment. He couldn't wait for that plane to land because he'd finally get away from that chatty preacher that he had to sit next to. Well, I want you to know, we ought to sympathize with each other's doubts and fears. And then we learned about being considerate means that I'm forgiving their mistakes. You see, we are all imperfect. You know, you married an imperfect person, and it's impossible for two imperfect people to have a perfect marriage. You know, I want you to know that I don't have a perfect marriage. I have a great marriage, uh, but it's not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship because we're sinners. We've all blown it. So marriages need this massive, massive, heavy dose of forgiveness. The Bible says you must make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive the person who offends you. Remember that God forgave us, so we must forgive others. You know, forgiveness is one of the primary building blocks of a marriage, and it's a way of showing consideration. You know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 3 that being considerate is a mark of wisdom, and it means that if I'm inconsiderate, I'm not wise, I'm foolish, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm dumb, right? Anytime I'm inconsiderate, not just to my wife, but to anybody, to the clerks that I check out my groceries with, or to the waitress that takes care of me. You know, every time I'm inconsiderate, I'm being unwise. Wisdom is shown by being considerate of the needs of other people. That includes offering forgiveness. So key number one for a good marriage, you got to be good at communication. Key number two, you've got to be very considerate. You know, I don't understand sometimes why I'm not as considerate as I should be with my wife. I mean, after all, uh, there is nobody on the planet that loves me more than she loves me. I mean, she loves me more than my kids love me. Uh, I think she loves me even more than my dog loves me. And uh, she loves me pretty much unconditionally. And and she's put up with a whole lot of nonsense. So why would I not be considerate of my wife? She is the one that's going to be with me through thick and through thin. She sees me on my best days. She lives with me on my worst days. Uh, She is there with me. When I'm not feeling good, she's an excellent nurse. Uh, When my head gets too filled with myself and I become filled with pride, she will bring me down a level because she loves me. I am so thankful for a godly wife. Now, if you are listening to this broadcast, you say, well, I don't have that kind of wife. I don't have a wife that is very considerate of me, and and I don't have a wife that communicates well with me, and, and my wife's got a whole lot of issues. Has it ever occurred to you? that God has placed you in her life so that you could help her and not fix her. You can't fix her. Only the Lord can fix her. But you can help her through those times of weakness so that you can help her to become more of the person that God wants her to be. You know, I discovered that whenever I treat my wife like a queen, and if I treat her like a queen all the time, every time, even when I don't feel like treating her like a queen, she'll treat me like a king sometimes. Not all the time, most of the time maybe, but the better I treat her, the better she treats me. So be a good communicator. Speak the truth in love. Be one who is able to be compassionate with your spouse. That's the second key. 
Key number three. Now, this is a word compromise that that I don't like this word when it comes to politicians, right? Uh, It seems like they're always compromising. If you've been married longer than a day, you know that every single marriage has conflict. Uh, There are just some things that you're, you're not going to see eye to eye about. You're never going to agree on everything. Now, the reason God has given you a spouse to you is so that you can look through a different set of lenses. Sometimes it's because of our background. Sometimes it's just because of our personality and how God has wired us. Sometimes it's about our own worldview that we just have a spouse that brings a different perspective of how we should see life. Now, as you begin marriage, you know, there are thousands of things that over the years you learn to compromise on. You learn to meet in the middle, to be flexible, to be willing to give up and to yield your own rights. And I'm not talking about non-negotiable things. I'm not talking about issues of infidelity. That's always wrong within a marriage. You ought to be committed to one another. There's certain guardrails that we must not cross, okay? We must be truthful to one another. We must serve one another. There's guardrails that are put into marriage. But inside of these guardrails, there is plenty of room for us to compromise. On big things and on small things, if you don't learn to compromise, it will lead to destruction within your home. Mark 3.25, Jesus put it this way, a home divided against itself is doomed. If your marriage is going to be successful, you have to learn conflict resolution. That is, you have to learn how to negotiate. Virtually all these conflicts that we can have in our lives can be traced back to one issue. That one issue is selfishness. In fact, the Bible says this, people who do not get along with others are only interested in themselves. You ever wonder why you can't get along with other people? It's because you're really only interested in yourselves. In fact, when you go to the New Testament, we discover when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love chapter, he basically says that the mark of real love is compromise. Look at verse number four. Love does not demand its own way. Now, how do I not demand my own way? I compromise. You know, time and time again, in every relationship, you have to yield your rights, the rights to having your own way, you have to yield those to somebody else. And rather deferring to your spouse and and meeting their needs and being willing to meet in the middle, you got to be flexible. You got to compromise. That comes in a thousand different forms in every single relationship. I'll give you an example from my marriage. We have to compromise about how we like to do vacation. And my wife and I have an opposite mindset of what is a great vacation. My idea of a great vacation is that, man, from the time we leave the house until the time we get back, we cram pack our schedule, right? And we're going to go somewhere different, uh, somewhere out of the area often. And so I want to see as much, experience as much, and do as much as I possibly can. And so I'm like, okay, I got everything lined up for the next seven days uh, as we're on vacation. You know, we're going to get up at 5 a.m. and I get this schedule and I, and I put it all together and we're going to do all these great things and we're going to cram as much as we can in the seven days that we have. Well, my wife's idea of a great vacation is getting a room right on the beach with doors that open to the water, being able to sleep in and relax all day and uh, maybe get a good book and, and read an entire book through a day, right? And so you can see that when we go on vacation, especially the first time we go on a vacation together, 
Uh, it was not good, okay? And so this is what I've done to help with this situation. I get up early. I go out and explore. And uh, I'll, I'll go out for several hours and explore. I'll find a, a Starbucks. I'll find a Chick-fil-A. Uh, I'll find out what kind of events they have going on that day. And then I come back around 10 o'clock in the morning. And I've had my three or four hours of exploring, and I kind of get it out of my system. And then I go back and uh, meet my wife, bring her breakfast, and, uh, and, and then we discover what we're going to do the rest of the day. And so we don't compromise right and wrong, but we compromise our opinions. We surrender our rights to be right through our opinions, okay? Romans 15 says this. Part of developing maturity, Paul says, may God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other, as well as Jesus gets along with us all. So I want you to rate yourself. And how are you doing in your marriage? Are you flexible? Rate yourself uh, one to five. One is, no, I'm not very flexible. Five, yeah, I'm pretty flexible. Uh, Do you compromise well within your marriage? One through five. Are, Are you considerate? Is your spouse okay with how you are treating her? Just go through these and and think about your marriage relationship and ask the Lord how you can be better at being more of a compromiser within your marriage. Now, when I just said that sentence, be more of a compromiser, I felt like I was like committing a cardinal sin, right? Uh, Because when it comes to theology, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to the truth, we're not talking about compromise. When we're talking about the foundation of a marriage, right? Uh, You think about a husband loving his wife, leaving and cleaving principle, right? We don't compromise on that. Uh, When a husband gets married, he's to leave his father and mother, and he cleaves to his wife, and the two become one. So, you know, that time of of separating from your mom and dad when you get married, cleaving to your spouse, you don't want to compromise on that. As a matter of fact, uh, my two oldest uh, children uh, have been both married now, one for just a couple weeks and one for just over a year. And, uh, and so uh, we're very careful, as my, my wife and I are very careful, to let them live their own life. Let them do their own thing. And uh, as a matter of fact, my daughter and her husband came to us not too long ago and said, well, you know, we'd like to go to a, a different church. Is, is that okay? I'm like, fine. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying you have to go to my... My daughter's been to, to the same church for 27 years. And I says, I think it'd be good for you as husband and wife to have your own church. And they may come back to our church. I don't know, but I didn't interfere with that. I want them to continue their spiritual journey. And we got to kind of cut the apron strings. And so we don't go over their house a lot. Uh, We're going to kind of let them work through things. And if they get in a fight, we're not going to get in the middle of it. We're going to let them work it out themselves because uh, when they get married, they've got to learn to work those things out themselves. So when we talk about compromise, we're not talking about compromising right or wrong, but we will compromise our opinions We surrender our right and wrong, and we surrender the right to be right. So that's number three. Number four, if you want to have a key for a successful marriage, there's got to be contact. Now, babies can actually die from a lack of touch. It's called the failure to thrive syndrome. If they're not stroked, if they're not touched enough, they can actually die. And so can marriages. In fact, I read a book not too long ago. And uh, kind of making my way through this book as, as I prepared for this message. You know, UCLA did a study and they discovered that if you hug your husband at least three times a day, you can increase his lifespan by up to three years. 
I know some of you are going, tough luck, honey. <laughs> Been nice knowing you. You know what? If you're too busy to date your spouse, to touch your spouse, then you're too busy. If there were more courting in marriages, there would be fewer marriages in court. You see, the problem is what you do to win your mate's love, you haven't continued to keep your mate's love. You know, before you got married, you couldn't keep your hands off each other. You were hugging and kissing and walking arm in arm and holding hands. Now that you're married, you never hold hands anymore. And the touching and the tenderness slowly begins to fade away. When that happens, the devil has won a victory in your marriage. He's setting you up for failure. Now, I know this is an old excuse, and I've heard it many, many times. I just don't feel that affection anymore. Now, that could be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you're just too tired. Maybe you're too busy. Uh, Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe you've got uh, some unresolved resentment. Uh, There could be dozens and dozens of reasons that you're no longer interested in affection or anything else. Uh, There's lots of reasons that, that could be contributing to this. But I'll tell you this. It is easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. When you say, I'm going to wait until I feel like it to act romantic, it isn't going to happen very often. The devil makes sure that you never feel like it. You have to act romantic even when you don't feel romantic. And when you do, the feelings will come. In fact, I guarantee it, because feelings will always follow behavior. If you act in a loving way, if you act in a romantic way, if you act in an affectionate way, the feelings will come back. Don't wait for the feelings. Just do the right thing. And you never let a day go by without some kind of physical contact. One day a woman went to her attorney seeking for a divorce. She said, I don't not only want a divorce, but I want to hurt him badly because of all the times he's ignored me. So the attorney said, okay, go home and compliment him every day until I can get the papers drawn up. Tell him all the good things that he is, he's doing, and call him a hero, and especially smother him with affection every single day. Act like you really adore him, and then we'll file for divorce, and it will devastate him because he won't see it coming. Well, a month later, she called back to the attorney and said, cancel the divorce. We've both fallen in love again with each other. You know, 1 Corinthians 7.3 says, the husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy which is her right as a married woman, nor should a wife deprive her husband. You see, God doesn't intend for your marriage to be boring and lifeless and passionless. God intends it to be filled with pleasure. You know what? As you think about God giving us this wonderful thing of sex, sex is the cement that keeps a marriage together. The primary purpose of sex is not to have children. That's a, that's a purpose, but not the primary purpose. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says the primary purpose of sex is to bring a husband and wife together in a spiritual union, in a bonding that is exclusive to them, that involves nobody else in the world but the two of them. That's why God says don't have sex outside of marriage. It has a profound spiritual implication. It is meant primarily for bonding a husband and a wife together. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, There is more to sex than just skin to skin. Now, this is the message uh, translation. It says, Sex 
is as much spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in the scripture, the two become one. Proverbs 5.19 says, Let affection fill you at all times with the light. Well, unfortunately, my time is just about up. So I'm going to ask you to come back and join me for the broadcast tomorrow. And I'm going to give you the fifth key to a successful marriage and the sixth key to a successful marriage. But if I can help you, if I can pray for your marriage or you need some help, we actually have marriage mentors in our church that can help you navigate through what you're going through. Give me a call at 757-421-7500. I'll be glad to pray with you, give you some things that it can help you in your marriage. From time to time, we actually do marriage conferences at our church. I'd love to tell you about when the next marriage conference is going to be. We do it at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. We so believe in marriage. You know, God gave you a spouse for a reason, to teach you to be holy, to teach you to be unselfish. God wants your marriage to thrive. So give me a call, 757-421-7500. i be glad to help you out. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you'll join us tomorrow. I'm praying for you, praying that your marriage will be strong and healthy. Well, God bless you. Have a great day. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.